Welcome to the Make Books Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Marlene Seegers, co-founder of Two Seas Agency, a boutique literary agency based in Ojai, California. Join me and take a glimpse behind the scenes of the international publishing world through my conversations with key players of the industry. My guests all have one thing in common. They make books travel, for instance, from one language to another, from idea or manuscript to published book, or from page to screen. Find out how they do it and why. Thank you for listening. And now on to today's show. Welcome to a new episode of the Make Books Travel podcast. It's been a while since I recorded and published the previous episode, landing back on my feet after my five-week trip to Europe around the London Book Fair was a bit more challenging this time due to some lingering fatigue after I caught COVID at the fair, like many, many others. Luckily, that's all behind me now. And today I'm speaking with Sophie Longley, literary agent at BUM Books and More Agency in Paris. We discussed many topics, including the rise of literary agents in France, where the publishing landscape was pretty reluctant to embrace this role for a long time, bringing new translations of classics to the market, and the upcoming book fair season. Without further ado, here's my interview with Sophie Langlais. Hi, Sophie. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm fine. It's good to be in summer and to see uh, holidays approaching. Yes, I second that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm very happy to speak with you today. There are several topics to discuss, one of which is the role of literary agents in France. You're a literary agent. But first, I wanted to ask you to introduce yourself to our audience, many of whom will know you. But just in case, and walk us through your professional career so far. How did you end up as a literary agent? (laughs) Okay, so I'm called uh, Sophie Langlais. I'm 39 years old. And as of now, I work from, from Paris, from the literary agency BAM for Books and More. I started working in the book industry through what we call in France, VI. A, Volontariat International en Ambassade, which was a sort of a first position for people who start working. So it's it's a, yeah it's a first contract and you have to be less than 30 years old. And I, I started doing that uh, at the French Institute in London, where I was working at the French book office. And here I had a sort of... Uh, Yeah, I realized that it was really wonderful to be able to work with books. And I was confronted also to the difficulties of having French books translated into English, which Mm -hmm. I was not aware of. So it was interesting to to see the market of translation through its most difficult asset, like the fact of having foreign books translated into English. And so that was the first part of the job. Then I was handling a translation grant program. So it was, had to read a lot. And then there was also this uh, event aspect of the job where uh, French authors were coming to the French Institute and meeting the translators and the English language editors. And so at that time, I could meet Laurent Mauvignier, Pierre Bayard. And so I really felt at ease there, you know, realizing mm-hmm. that I wanted to work with books, but through an international lens. Then I came back to Paris, but I, I had a hard time finding a job because it's, it's really difficult to, to find a job. And I remember that at that point, uh, Marlene, you were working at Stock and we had a, <laughs> a lunch, I think. And, you, and yeah. you, I was about to be desperate and to say, oh, I want to quit. I want to do something else. And you were like, no, you have to, to keep doing it. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll find a position. So wow, <laughs> you, okay. you had a, yeah, you definitely had a role. I remember this conversation. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember it. 
<laughs> I remember meeting you when you came back from your your time in London, but yeah. I can't remember specifically saying that to you. I mean, I'm that's kind of my general take on just working in international publishing is just like don't give up. <laughs> you, <laughs> you'll make it. And especially, I mean, now hearing exactly the the specifics of your of your position in London or your position mm. in London. I mean, it was it was just a great basis of, mm. you know, you, you saw so many aspects of the international publishing scene. And, you know, being in England, as you say, the English language market for foreign books is so challenging, but also uh, very, yeah, encouraging, I think, in a way to, uh, if you like challenges. And you, yeah, just to have that to have that background, yeah, it, it makes sense that I said that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and knowing you and knowing your qualities and 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 how you work, because you know, of course, for our listeners who don't know, we we also work together. We we two uh, yeah. as a sub agent for for books and more agency in in some territories. So I'm not surprised to hear that. So first of all, how long did you stay in London in total? The position lasted for two years. Okay. And then I I hesitated in staying in London and I was interviewing at several agencies and I had this interview at William Morris, but then I thought, ah, oh, it, it looks like a cigarette brand. I can't go there. You know, I was not familiar at all. And so I went to, to several interviews that went well. But to me, I, I was thinking, ah, oh, I sort of... <laughs> was a bit disdainful you know and uh, mm-hmm. and I, I was so I, I wanted really to go back to France at that point and to have a, a proper experience in a French publishing house mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I think I I, I I sort of have a mental call about this period but I think I said no to a really great uh, literary agent position but at that point because I was very French I was born and raised in France by French parents who had nothing to do with publishing. So I didn't know anything about uh, literary agents. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. ah, no, it's not at the core of things. So. <laughs> yeah. So this literary agency was in, in London or was it in France that offered It was in London. It was in London, oh, the, yeah, the interviews I made. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and it was hard to find this a job. And but some people like Marlene encouraged me to to keep <laughs> looking, and mm-hmm. then I was called by uh, Gallimard at the Foreign Rights Department, mm-hmm. which was headed at that point by Anne-Sarah Noble, and she accepted to give me the position between. So it started in 2010, and I stayed there for uh, six years. And mm. at that point, Jean-Marie Gustave Leclésio just had been awarded his Nobel Prize. And then mm. we had the Gonco, the, the, the other Nobel Prize during, yeah, I said for six years, to Patrick Modiano. Mm. That must have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... There. Yeah. Gallimard is it's an incredible yeah, place. On its own, yeah. Especially for people who have done literary studies. And, and sometimes the transition between studies and the professional world is not that easy you know because Hmm. during your studies you have to think a lot and you have a lot of free free time and then (laughs) professional life is not always about that (laughs) and then at Gallimard I could see again like correspondences of uh, Simone de Beauvoir, uh, André Malraux, Mm. Fin de Saint-Exupéry, so there was there was so much to do about contemporary literature and contemporary nonfiction, but there was like more than 100 years of French publishing. And so, yeah, mm. it was an enormous work. Yeah. And it was a great school also because you could see very old contracts that had been signed for the length of uh, copyright law. And uh, yeah, you could work on several territories and a lot of different offers and so yeah I stayed there for six years doing mm-hmm. foreign rights only mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and just may I ask so you studied literature before going to London what is no there? no I studied uh, actually I studied political sciences at Sciences Po and in Paris mm-hmm. and uh, I studied literature it was a long distance long distance learning. I just had one year of uh, of literature at university, but mainly political sciences. 
Hmm. Okay. Right. Well, I think that that also gives you annoying Sciences Po as well. It's it gives you a steady basis to to work from in publishing as many other fields that you could go to. Yeah, and I just wanted to hook on to what you were saying about seeing all the old contracts at Gallimard. I mean, that was, for me, that was the same. I had the child in the candy store like feeling when I started to dive into contracts at Stock, which is also an old publishing house. And I one particular memory is with stands with me. It's the seeing a contract signed by Jean Cocteau. And he <laughs> signed like with the star. Like it's it, I was ah, like, yeah. wow. This is <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And for us, yeah, it was, I arrived just after there was a retranslation of the second sex by Simone de Beauvoir in mm -hmm. English. And the first yeah. translation was truncated and it had been, you know, really. So people for, for years and years in the English language market had, had read a wrong huh. version of uh, Simone de Beauvoir's second sex, which is like a founding yeah. work. Yes. And yeah. so it was probably retranslated in 2008 or nine, I think. Hmm. And then we also worked on retranslations in uh, Eastern countries, like in Russia, in Georgia, and so on, where it had been translated in, uh, yeah, in the 1960s, I think, but in again in a truncated wrong version. So you could really feel that you you could have a role by digging into the contracts and into the situations and listening mm -hmm. to translators explaining situations. So it was very rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, I interrupted you a little bit. So in 2016, you left Gallimard to yeah, yeah, go where? Yeah. Okay. To go to Les Arènes and l'Iconoclast, two independent publishing houses. Very, very different. And uh, it was a marvelous experience because I was in charge of one rights, but I was also coordinating acquisitions, foreign acquisitions. And I could also be an acquisitions editor. So I had several mm. roles, a lot of freedom. Les Arènes and l'Iconoclast, they have really a, a startup uh, a spirit, mm -hmm. a mentality. Mm. And so we had a lot of, uh, had a lot of fun. Like we, in, in terms of uh, licenses, you know, I had La Vraie Vie by Adeline Dieudonné, which we sold mm. to like more than 20 languages. And uh, we bought the rights of uh, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, uh, like in three days with uh, Laurent Beccaria, the publisher who, who was like super excited. And we all worked together. It was really a very collective publishing house. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, so I had a lot of uh, a lot of great experiences during four years with Design and Iconoclast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so that was for four years, and then yeah, books and more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then books and more because I, yeah, I felt it was the time for me to to be independent, and because I could feel so that on the market, offers wanted to be represented for the market was, yeah, at the right time for that. Mm. And, and also because I had met Marie and she had such a great variety of uh, publishing houses because, so we, we handled foreign rights for a few French publishing houses, such as French or Francophone, such as Philippe Red, Elian Kilibert, uh, and Black Plaid, and I will forget some of them, but yeah, several ones. Mm -hmm. And then from foreign markets into France, which is really interesting, like with German clients such as Michel Gebb, Italian clients, Monica Malatesta, and then clients also from the US. So it's really, well, you, you do it too, like working in, in both directions. It's mm -hmm. really so rewarding uh, intellectually you talk to so many people I mean yeah it's really yeah I find it very exciting <laughs> mm -hmm. and so besides you already mentioned it briefly so besides handling foreign rights on behalf of French and French language and international publishers selling in in different directions you then also work with authors directly as like a primary literary agent mm. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you'd always wanted to do, work directly with authors? 
no, but first because uh, at first, as I, as I said, I was not familiar with the yeah. environment, so I had no idea that such a profession existed. Mm-hmm. I think now that there's the series ten percent, like young generations will know about it, but mm. I didn't. Yeah, and then also it's because called my I'm... agent, by the way, in yeah, uh, in <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, <called> my agent. <laughs> yeah. So Hmm. Yeah, and then when you're French and raised in a French environment, you sort of have a bad image of the role of agents. So I was sort of uh, thinking that agents were just one more intermediary, that they didn't really play a role. And so I didn't have a really positive image about agents for years, I would say. Hmm. And then I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so what what happened? It was it was as you were working as a foreign rights seller, yeah. or yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of realized that there was a lot of misunderstandings between offers and and publishers. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was with offers, I was finding myself defending publishers, you know, because I was thinking that offers were not fair, and thinking sometimes that publishers were not doing them the most for them and I was mm-hmm. and when I was seeing from the inside all that publishers were doing I, I was finding it unfair because we all do this job by passion and uh, mm-hmm. there are in every profession but in, in publishing there can't be people doing nothing you know because it shows <laughs> because there's so much to do so uh-huh. When I was with offers, I was defending publishers. And when I was with publishers, I was defending offers because I, I sometimes thought that, you know, publishers were asking for too much, you know, for uh, contracts for the length of, uh, of copyright, the whole copyright mm. not not wanting to reassess royalties, you know, just offering flat royalties and, and not... Uh, scales of royalties, which was what we were asking for foreign publishers when negotiating abroad right. and that they didn't allow to their own offers. So, and mm, I thought that, yeah, and I thought that on both sides, it was about misunderstanding. It was about not having the time to talk enough and editors can't do this pedagogic pedagogy you know pedagogical yeah like uh, educational this educational talk they can't do it all the time with offers they they don't have time well they can try Mm -hmm. and they will do it and but it's never enough because also we know how touchy and how how strong it is for an offer to publish a work Mm -hmm. so there's never enough explanations i would say and then i so i sort of reconsidered my position because i thought Editors need someone in between them and the offer, you know, to help the offers understand how they work for the offers. Mm-hmm. But then I also thought offers need to be represented because the contracts are getting more and more difficult. And also sometimes when offers don't feel confident, they are going to refuse everything, you know. <laughs> I was uh, thinking of one offer who didn't have an agent and she was not familiar with it and she was very afraid. And so she was saying no to everything because mm-hmm. she was thinking that we, we were not telling her the truth. And, and, mm-hmm. and so she was not fighting the good fights, you know. You yeah. have to choose your fights. And so she, mm. it was especially an offer for grand caractère, so, you know, for blind people large with print. Yeah. a large print. And so she was very anxious about this large print uh, offer. And so I was thinking, well, if she had an agent, the, the person could explain that it's, it's really not something you can, you should negotiate for hours yeah, you know right. but there are things where you should negotiate for hours but it's not yeah. it's not this particular uh-huh. example yeah and so as i was working i realized that it was really useful to have an agent in some circumstances not for all offers not all the time but i think in a lot of situations it improves the relationships between offers and and editors mm-hmm this has been very interesting to hear because it's true that we as foreign rights 
agents. We we negotiate our foreign rights sellers from in-house uh, foreign rights departments. We do negotiate certain terms for the authors on behalf of the publishing house. Mm. Like, and as you said, like you you know, flat royalty. We always try to get a royalty scale because it is yeah. more fair. So. It's great that you kind of extrapolated that. I was like, wait a sec, <laughs> you know, this is, why would this not be happening on the domestic market, you know, yeah, whether it's exactly. France yeah, or, yeah. or you know, the, the authors. Yeah. Um, and also I was seeing that there was a new generation in France of editors who mm-hmm. were, because before that, there were like uh, editors for foreign books, editors for French books, and they were very distinct. Mm-hmm. But then the new generation, most of them will sometimes be an acquisitions editor, then they will switch to French literature, or they will do both at the same mm-hmm. time for years. Yeah. And these younger editors were very used to having agents in their relationships with their foreign offers. Mm-hmm. And in France, some of them were saying, I would be much more comfortable if I had mm-hmm. an agent also in France, because that's how I learned to work. You know, I have this mm-hmm. negotiation with the agent and then I can talk about the text with my offer. Mm-hmm. And then when there's a misunderstanding, the agent is here to try to liaise. And mm-hmm. Some French, not 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 all of them, I would say, but some younger French editors were telling me we are missing a generation of agents and we are missing a generation of French agents. And mm. because there were very few, then we started to see also offers being represented by UK or Spanish oh. agencies mm-hmm. or American ones. And then there was sort of a national pride, like... Okay, this is going to happen anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. The agents are going to represent the offers, and and why should our offers go abroad to be represented? Can't we have a, a generation of French agents that will accompany the new offers? You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because indeed, it's in in many other countries, and, and not just the US and the UK, but hmm. also Spain and and Germany. There were like the literary agent was already an essential or an, or like a central element of the of the publishing landscape. So it it, it really was like a almost like a French exception that uh, that <laughs> yeah. there were no or you know for instance Scandinavia also there have been agents mm. for 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 quite a while now I mean of course the US and the UK I think they were they were the first ones a, a long long time ago where this where this position started but I think it's also interesting to see that you know you, you look at the most the two most recent international booker prizes they were mm. both represented by agents uh, based in France, so one mm-hmm. is David Diop, and with the agency so far so good, who who won last year. I think the English title is "At Night All Blood Is Black," mm-hmm. published by Pushkin Press, and um, and then this year it's Tomb of Sand, represented by Pierre Astier's agency. Of course, that is not a it's not a book originally written in in French, but I think it is very very telling that like literary agents in France are are here to stay and and are more and more recognized and there is even um up until a few years ago there was no authors uh sorry not no agency like alliance and there is one right the, the sval i think it's called yeah. yeah 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 so we're all like french agents come together to you know to discuss hmm. um to discuss matters and and i think that is a very that was a very important and very telling development as well. Yeah. Now, there was a historical and very strong and, uh, agent called uh, François Samuelson, who's still yes. a major yeah. one representing yeah. Michel Houellebecq, Alfred Vargas, Emmanuel uh, Carrère, mm-hmm. I think. So he, but he's also an agent for uh, cinema. Yeah. And uh, and then Susanna and yeah. and then Pierre Astier. So there, there were a few. A and, few, yeah. But right. now we see also a younger generation of, you know, several people starting their agency and with different emphasis or focus. Like Julie Finidori is really committed to uh, uh, defending books that are working against uh, gender bias or, or things like that. 
So everybody has a specificity, I would say, and and mm-hmm. and we find our way. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it, it's been a, a topic for a while now also in like kind of in, in the French press. And I remember there was a huge article, I think it was last summer in uh, Livre Hebdo, which is a, the weekly French publishing industry newspaper and about specifically literary agents. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it was it was just great to see that there is more and more also attention into yeah to, that goes out to agents and that the bias that people have had in publishing in the past are slowly going away yeah I mean yeah I think there's still some it's still not you know there's still many authors also that sign directly with uh with publishers in in France and so there's still some development I think to some room for development whether you know it will happen or not but yeah no it's 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 been very interesting to to see and to witness that coming like me being in the U.S. where it's like unauthored, unagented submissions are almost, I mean, I wouldn't say 100%, but it's very, very hard for authors to find a book deal without an agent. Um, I know that there are some exceptions also in in an effort to open the book market and have the the, the publishing market, uh, the book market be more diverse. Mm. uh, But still having an agent is often the first step for for an author to be published here. So, and how do you find the authors that you want to represent? Are they often first-time authors, or have they written books that you've and published books that you've, you know, been a fan of, and then you reach out to them, or maybe it, probably it's a combination of both? Yeah, it's, we're we're really we're I would say we're slow and we're careful uh, in the offers we have start to be. representing. Yeah. yeah. So Marie, my partner, uh, she started working with someone called Emilienne Malfato because she it's someone who was awarded uh, the Goncourt du Premier Roman Prize uh, for her first novel, then the Prix Albert Londres for her essay and uh, and then or oh, oh, for her journalist career, and 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 then she wanted to write another novel and all the French publishers were behind her and so she was not familiar and she she didn't know what to do so Mm -hmm. that's a good example of the the right moment for us to step in when Mm -hmm. an offer has started to to publish but then yeah is hesitating about the choices they should make Mm -hmm. and because we have a sort of wider view on the French publishing market, we can give them advice and not not because there's one best publisher in absolute, but mm-hmm. just because we learn what the offer expects and mm-hmm. then we we try to orientate her towards the the publisher that suits her and that can accompany her for as many years as possible. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's how, how it happened. Then for me, it happened through translators. I started working with uh, Jolene Béraud and uh, Sylvie Veil, who are published by Boucher Chastel, and they were translated into English by Ross Schwartz, whom I had met when I was at the French Institute in London. Mm-hmm. And we know that we have common tastes, and so Ross told me, ah, I think that they're a bit lost, they're, they're looking for agents. And so I started working with, with them mm. both out mm. of the recommendation of this translator. Mm. So um, it really depends. And we're doing yeah. it really slowly because it's a lot of time, really. It's a, it's a lot yes. of time. It's a lot Different of, dynamics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of thought you have to give. And it's someone, if you start working with an offer, then we'll see how things go. But I, I was talking to an editor and he was telling me that before signing a contract with an offer, he's wondering whether he's ready to spend two years with with this person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and in a way it's true, you know, you'll have a mm-hmm. lot of exchanges. But with, a, with yeah. an offer, it's... I would say right, at least for 10 years and hopefully for yeah. more. But So it's yeah. a long, long companionship, mm-hmm. I would say. And also, mm-hmm. it's we're young and so we can't afford to disappoint people. So we have to be sure that we can really bring something to them. If we yeah. think that they can manage on their own or that we are not going to 
get them something better. So we have to believe that they have talents, that this mm-hmm. talent is not exploited enough or something mm-hmm. like that, and that we can grow together in the forthcoming years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you, uh, just as a side question, are you open for unsolicited submissions? Like, do you have a, what's called a slush pile? Or at the moment you're, you know, you've been finding and looking for authors, the ways that you just, you know, you just described like through connections and that you knew them already at some point? Yeah, it often happens through people but we are open to unsolicited uh, submissions because it's mm-hmm. it's also a sort of a barometer of the of the, of the country and of what people think and so yeah. as a political uh, <laughs> it's just, it's interesting from the political point of view or and also to discuss with editors because they talk about the manuscripts they receive so i think it's it's good also to have this uh, source of uh, of texts mm-hmm. yeah so we keep it open for mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. yeah and as far as foreign rights representation is concerned so you went from being a foreign rights seller and also being involved in the editorial acquisition and coordination at les arenes and uh, l'iconoclast how how was it to go from an in-house right seller to working at an independent agency that has many different clients and many different genres as well? I mean, I guess Les Arenes and Iconoclast also cover quite a few different genres. But uh, yeah, if you could say some more about that. Yeah, actually, yeah, Les Arenes and Iconoclast cover so many genres. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing children's books, graphic novels, essays, uh, testimonies, literature, illustrated books. They did travel books at some point. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I mean, the, the difficult thing for me is that I started during COVID. So even for yeah. French clients, I like did not meet them for a long time. And even now, you know, I had a meeting with Talandier, who's one of our clients, and mm-hmm. uh, and Marie, my partner, was saying, "Ah, oh, but you know them," and I, I was like, "No, I don't." Well, I, I've <laughs> never met them on Zoom. Yes, yeah, and it, it's so different, and so mm-hmm. it was hard, really, to to have a feel of uh, of the spirit of a publishing house, of what they expect in terms of feedback and of. Uh, uh, especially in this period where things happened, but it was so hard also. So mm-hmm. um, I would say it was hard for me to understand each publishing house. And also when you have time in a publishing house, like in Gallimard or Les Arènes or L'Iconoclast, you, you, you have time to dig into the backlist. Yeah. And, uh, and here it was, I had so much to catch up on the new books that uh, mm-hmm. the backlist was inaccessible, I would say. Mm-hmm. So it was challenging, but it was also super interesting and super rich uh, to have so many conversations with different publishing houses, different models, like Anamosa is a small nonfiction publisher with sometimes academic subjects, but sometimes more for a wider audience. And and then we have, yeah, I was talking about Talandier, who published a lot of historical books, like more, many of them academic, others not. So you, I had to adapt to, to all of them, but it's really rich. It really, and because we have this peculiarity of working almost only with independent publishing houses. So they all have a strong position, a strong identity, a strong view of, of the market and of what they want. Mm-hmm. And so, it, yeah, I feel I've learned so much in the past two years that it's as if I was already, I was, I'm 39, but I feel 50 years old <laughs> in terms of experience and of, uh, being tired. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, and, and I'm assuming that now you have met all the clients, you've managed to, to meet the clients, at least the ones that are in, in, in Paris in person. Yeah. Uh, since, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I didn't even think about that aspect that you, when I, came up with the question is like yeah you started right in the middle of covid so yeah 
that was very yeah yeah big big challenge how about the french book market at the moment how is it doing i know that yeah there was the french elections the presidential elections and then more recently the the legislative elections and and then of course the very the terrible war in ukraine there was a lot of I think anxiety in in France and elsewhere, but I I heard a lot of yeah feedback that sales like in in beginning of 2022 was were really really hard and that bookstores were not yeah were, were quite struggling and yeah what's the situation now and and is there anything in particular that is selling really well in terms of genre or authors? Yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, the the French market is is still struggling because of all the factors you mentioned, like uh, mm. COVID, uh, war, uh, elections, and also because of this auto-realizing attitude of editors who don't publish their biggest title on the first semester when yeah. there's uh, there are presidential elections. So we're expecting a much better uh, second uh, semester. And uh, mm. as far as I'm concerned, yeah, what I read from the Rentrée Littéraire, uh, I, I don't know if I'm just in an optimistic uh, period, mm. but all the books I was reading, I was finding them excellent. Mm. Uh, the ones I read from Philippe Ray, Le Tripod, L'Iconoclast, I'm really impressed with the mm. quality of the publishing house. But that's what other people say also. It, it's, it, there will be less books. You know, when I started working, it was like more than 700 books for the rentrée littéraire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and here I think we're going to be around 500. Wow. Which is still a lot, but it, there's yeah. a, a huge decrease. Yeah. A yeah. huge decrease. And so I'm, I'm optimistic for the second semester. And mm-hmm. then I think. Uh, the big names in literature are still managing to to sell well their books, but I think the the, the debut novels, the new voices, are struggling more, mm. and literature in general is struggling more. Yeah. I think like children's books, nonfiction, clever nonfiction, pop nonfiction. This is still working really well because people still trust books for complex issues. And there's this specificity of uh, uh, graphic nonfiction in France, which is yeah. really strong and which we export really well, uh, like explaining issues that have been into a, a regular essay in the past, but that are illustrated with infographics, maps, uh, and so on. This works really well in France. Like Les Arènes have this l'incroyable histoire du vin, de la médecine, du sexe. Uh, all these have been tremendous successes in France and abroad. Or Talendier, le, le Dessous des Cartes, you know, Atlases are, are working really well in this geopolitical um, complex time. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there are several genres that are still selling well literature and new voices and literature in translation from countries we were not familiar with is really hard yeah and how about the audiobook market is i mean i know it's growing but how, is it is it really taking on like um like a proportion where you would say okay this is an element to take into account when negotiating rights or is it still a small part of the market it's still a small part of the market, mm-hmm. but we're definitely being more uh, careful in the contracts uh, because there's, there's no real reason why it shouldn't develop because the younger generation also consumes culture on their phones and the short formats are really strong. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to develop. But again, yeah, you you were mentioning this French exception about agents mm-hmm. and, and for audio it's 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 still growing slowly, but I, I believe it's it's gonna grow. I don't know okay. at which speed. Right. But uh, yeah, it will be there too. Mm-hmm. And as we are getting into the book fair planning mm. season, <laughs> what is your favorite book fair? Ah. I'm assuming you've traveled quite a bit. <laughs> it, it's a harsh question. What about you? Yeah. <laughs> well, Tell me. me. What yeah. is my favorite book fair? Ugh. I don't think I have a favorite one. I mean, there's Guadalajara is a lot of fun, I have to say. <laughs> but also because at that time, you know, it's usually at early December like mm. the, the 
big Frankfurt fall season is behind you. So there's a lot less pressure and yeah, so there's there's less the need to like be pitching, pitching, pitching nonstop as as Frankfurt and 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 other book fairs usually are, and it's Mexico, so it's <laughs> I love going there. I hope that I'll be going there again this year. So yeah, let's just stick to Guadalajara for me. Then. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So I have to try Guadalajara because I've never been. But yes. <laughs> yeah, I would say my uh, I've been there once, but in this year I went to Torino. Mm, and uh, yeah. so first it's Italy. Yes. <laughs> which is amazing in terms of climate and food and and th- there are a lot of readers like the the scene where offers are talking is huge so it's really mm-hmm. comforting when you see people queuing to buy books. And then the right center is rather is it's very international and there are a lot of super interesting people but it's rather small and therefore you don't have to run from one table to the other because you can reach mm-hmm. all the tables in like three minutes and when you when you know frankfurt and if you have made a, a mistake in the hold you're going to if you know that you've already ruined your planning so yes. it's a lot of stress and you don't have it in in torino because you can reach anyone in five minutes Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also because it's smaller and and all the people are super interesting, it's really good because we have a, a job where we change conversations constantly. And if you forget to say something to someone in an email, sometimes you're not going to send another email because there are already so many and it's too late. And so this information mm-hmm. will never reach the the person. But here in Torino, you know, I, I was going back home to the hotel and the day after I was meeting again the person I had started talking to and I could uh, follow the conversation, you know, say, mm-hmm. ah, I forgot to tell you, I wanted also to talk about this book or I, I, I wanted to add something. And so it was really good to have time, you know, <laughs> to have yeah. longer conversations. So yeah. I would say Torino. Yeah. Okay. I I went to Torino once and yeah, I agree. It's been a while. I'd love to go back next year, but it's, that's definitely how I, how I felt too. And the reasons that you mentioned for Torino is actually they apply to, to Guadalajara as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge public fair too. So there's like buses, bus loads mm. of people, school children, there's people travel from the entire country to go yeah. to Guadalajara to buy their books for the year. Mm. And it's like you're there, you you listen to the radio and it, they mention the feel, you know, that book fair like all the time. So it's also really great to see this engouement, you know, this enthusiasm mm. for a book event. And yes, it's a small rights fair and it has become over the years very international thanks to the international editor fellowship so the the people that you meet there you just develop a bit of a different relationship with because indeed you can continue your conversation over several Mm. days really and it's not just hurry hurry running between different meetings so um, yeah and so are you already preparing for Frankfurt? (laughs) Uh, slowly again slowly again because i know that you're very organized and so (laughs) you in your newsletter you were asking are are you already preparing for frankfurt and i I was convinced by your argument of saying like last year we did it much later like in september and we still managed to have a really interesting fair so i'm not going to do it in september but Again, there's no super rush. So I would say that yeah. I'm preparing in the sense that I'm starting to read and yeah. and to to think, but I'm not asking for meetings frantically because yeah. uh, I don't feel like doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's same here. No, I did slowly start to reach out to some people to meet, but and also actually it's mostly to reply to people who reached out to me earlier. But I've hold I've held off until this week actually. I, I didn't want to do any scheduling until uh, but yeah I mean yeah well you know it you we work with this uh, this app called Calendly and it is Mm. I mean I have to say it is really nice to just send out the link and then you know there's no back and forth 10 Mm. times to find the right time so it's also less of a less of a mountain to climb like whenever before I was like oh we need to start scheduling Mm. that's gonna take so much time but actually now it's like oh 
yeah, with the link, it's really, it's an easy thing. So I would recommend it to, okay. to anybody. <laughs> so what about the books that you read recently that you are very enthusiastic about? You mentioned a few already from the Rentrée Littéraire. Is, mm. are, are there any in particular that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I would like to talk about Leonora Miano because I think she's really interesting also. Mm. And she represents something happening on the French scene because she she's from Cameroonese origins, but she now lives in Togo. She comes to France very regularly. But she's a symbol of the re-empowerment of authors, I would say. You know, recently we saw that uh, Virginie Despentes ha had created her own publishing house. Yeah, she's not publishing her, her forthcoming novel. Is it will be at Crasset mm -hmm. uh, in September, but still, she created her publishing house. She has a place there, and we'll see what who she will publish. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, the authors were waiting for the desire of the editors, waiting, you know, sometimes. Uh, for months before the editor could answer and depending on the <laughs> success of each of them. And and now authors are sort of saying that they're not going to wait anymore. So there's auto-publishing, which is a smaller movement, but it still mm -hmm. exists. Mm -hmm. and yeah, Virginie Despentes saying that she's creating her own publishing house. Yeah, and so did also, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so did also, well, you know, Joël Dicker. Yeah. And then... Leonora, she, she's inspired by Naveen Kishore from Seagull Books, who created mm -hmm. a really impressive yeah. English language publishing house from, I think he's in Calcutta or I don't know. I, well, from, from a faraway Indian yeah, I think he's city. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From a faraway Indian city, he managed to build one of the most impressive English in translation literature from many places of the world. And Leonora is very friends with him and she wants to do mm. the same in, in Africa. And so she's mm. going to publish her books, which are going to be available in Africa. And But she sold the French rights to Café. And so there's this re-empowerment movement of authors, which I think is strong and necessary. And uh, the, the her first text that she's going to publish there is a text called Stardust. Mm -hmm. And it's a, the first manuscript she had written when she was in her 20s. But she had chosen never to publish it because she knew how harsh the French society is. It's a manuscript about her being alone in the streets with her one-year-old girl and going to a care center and, you know, spending a few months there before managing to go back to a flat and, and to a more regular life. And she knew that the French society is so harsh and so severe with people who are not in the norm that if she had published this book first, she would have always been, you know, this black woman who had been a, a sort of hobo and who couldn't mm. feed her daughter. So... I was very moved by her discourse. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wanted to tell her that she was wrong, but she was true. And I'm very impressed by her, you know, her strength and all that she wants to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, I I started reading it, and it's very powerful. It's a very mm -hmm. powerful. I also understand her reservations for that to be the first book to publish, but at the same time. So how long ago was it that she wrote it? It was like 30 years ago. Right, yeah. So the, it's also it's a different world now. Huh? Mm. So yeah. I think there's more open yeah, publishers and, and people, readers in general are more open, I think, to to this kind of book that is also a reckoning, you know, yeah. with the political situation, the socioeconomic situation of many people in such situations. So yeah, so Stardust. All right, I'll mention <laughs> this in the show notes. Is there anything that I missed that you wanted to point out before we finish this off? Well, yeah, I think that COVID has been, you know, an incredible shock for all of us. Like we, you know, I couldn't really realize that the London Book Fair wouldn't take place in March 2020. So the, the way I went there and I was almost alone, you know. <laughs> and then, you went there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, at least I could meet a few English language publishers, yeah. you know, in London is yeah. very close to Paris. But, and we were all thinking, okay, it's going to last for a few weeks. And then yeah. it has really... Uh, turned our lives upside down when it's not worse. And I mean, 
it was really challenging, but it brought a lot also. I think you started this podcast series because of COVID, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, so it, it brought a lot of initiatives. You were a pioneer because you were already working remotely, but mm. everybody, you know, French publishers were saying, no, we want to sign contracts on paper. And then mm -hmm. you know, everybody accepted to do it digitally. We thought that there were events we could not attend. And now, you know, we can attend a conference in Korea in the morning through a Zoom meeting and, and have a discussion with the U.S. in the evening. Mm. So I think it, it really opened our world a lot. And it's good to see that it hasn't replaced fairs because fairs are going back with, you know, physical events. So it, mm -hmm. it has opened a lot. It has been also extremely tiring because, you know, I think this year we had to keep doing the digital events and then going back to physical. And so it was, yeah, it was a struggle. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. that COVID has still has enlarged uh, our way of working. And mm -hmm. I don't know how things will go. I, I hope we will never see this incredible wave that paralyzes uh, the whole world but I would say I, I didn't imagine it so mm -hmm. now I'm a bit you know looking at things <laughs> with knowing that what we thought was impossible was possible so exactly yeah <laughs> yeah yeah mm. you're right on a personal note I was just I just had the visit of my mother here in in California mm. for mm. for two weeks and She had visited me here in January of 2020. So it was like just before everything shut down, she was still with us. But there were so many things back then, the last trip that she did. I was like, oh, well, we can do that next time. We can do it next time. Mm -hmm. And then so now she she had to postpone her trip a couple of times. And this time I just was like, okay, I'm going to take a whole week off. Yeah. And we're going to just do everything that, yeah. that we said we would do one day. Because, yeah, you never know, right? Yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah. Maybe yeah. indeed there can be another, like intense wave that that brings along travel restrictions you know and the same goes for for book fairs i think mm. and, and international trips i mean i got i got covid during london this year and mm. and it did impact my well, of course my 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 and luckily i wasn't too sick but it did it did have an impact so you what we've learned to we've had to learn to be a lot more flexible and yeah. unexpected mm. and that's how i will go into my future trips it's like i build in well there's you know plan b's are hard to to come up because you never know what and when it could whatever could happen but still there is this back this thought in the back of my mind like okay yeah there may be at some point i may have to switch fully to virtual and isolate somewhere mm. um, instead of going somewhere to meet with people in person and and i think that that is yeah that's the way it's going to be for the next couple of years Yeah, and I think we're also aware that every time we can travel, we're going to do it. You know, we've been spoiled children in the past, thinking that yeah. we could, you know, travel everywhere when we want. And also, um, we've managed to work digitally. We know, so we yeah. we will be less afraid if a new wave comes up. And also, yeah. the, the sales of books have been really good nationally. So mm. we know that the book system will endure. But also every time we meet people, like you're just seeing, you know, real faces and smiles. And <laughs> I think our time at, at the last Frankfurt Book Fair, we couldn't talk that much about books because we had so much to yeah. catch up on everybody's lives. Hmm. So I think we, the COVID made us feel more human, I would say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very beautiful thought, and I think I, I agree with you. Yeah, to also live more in the moment and to just really yeah. enjoy what's happening yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sophie. This was a pleasure to speak with you today, and thank you for your time. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you in person sometime this fall. <laughs> yeah. See you in Paris soon. <laughs> All right. Bye, bye, Sophie. Bye, bye. bye. Thanks again for listening to the Make Books Travel Podcast. I hope you had a good time and learned a thing or two. 
Check out the agency's website, 2CsAgency.com, for more information and resources about the international publishing scene. Oh, and if you liked what you heard, please leave a positive review. Thank you, merci et à la prochaine.